I remember learning about this parable in a kids group when I was young. There was a big book filled with colorful pictures of a Jewish farmer who had white skin and blonde hair for some reason. And in various frames in this book, uh, he's seen sowing the seed directly onto the path, onto a ground covered in rocks and a, and a thicket of thorns and, and finally fertile earth. I remember asking the leader at the time, what, why, why is he doing that? You know, he can see the path. He can see there's loads of rocks. He can see these thorns. Why is he throwing the seed into these places where the, the, the seed won't really produce a good crop? The rather unsatisfying reply I received was, well, that's not what we're talking about, and it doesn't really matter. Well, it's what I'm going to be talking about. And it turns out it really does matter. The farming method described in Mark 4 is called broadcasting, taking handfuls of seeds and scattering them widely rather than depositing them directly into prepared soil. And this method of planting was used widely in primitive agriculture, particularly in uh, hilly areas uh, like Galilee, where there were you know, often large rocks that could destroy a plough you know, lying just beneath the surface of the soil. And since geological pressures can cause uh, subterranean rocks to move upwards and weeds will seed in a different place each year, uh, farmers had no way of knowing where the good soil and the poor soil would be, so just threw the seed everywhere. Uh, at the time of sowing, unlike the pictures I saw as a child, there were no visible rocks. They were just under the surface. There were no visible thorns, only their seeds underneath the surface we didn't, didn't know where, um, lying dormant, waiting to germinate. In fact, these soil conditions uh, can be found today uh, lying very close to each other uh, on the plain of Gennesaret, which is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee being where Jesus shared this parable. About 90 years before he shared this parable, uh, the Romans invaded in 63 BC. And when they did that, uh, Rome did what it always did in occupied territories, which was tax the local population. Uh, Galileans were subject to at least three levels of taxation. The Roman tribute, taxes to Herods, and the tithes and offerings demanded by the high priesthood. And if you didn't own the land, you can put rent on top of that as well, which could be as high as 60% of your total crop. Now, for the Galileans, these were tough times. You know, they'd been through periodic warfare, enslavement, years of really bad harvests, as well as this crippling tax burden. It just meant life was hard, super hard. Peasant farmers were battling for survival, and many village communities began to disintegrate. These farmers often fell into debt, and the Roman and Herodian elite as well as the temple aristocracy, used this dire situation to exploit the peasantry even further uh, by offering them high interest loans that the kind of peasants had to date, take due to all the obligations of tax, tithe, uh, tribute, offerings, feeding their family and retaining some seed for next year's harvest. They were inevitably driven into deeper and deeper debt, unpayable, which resulted in bankruptcy and then losing their lands archaeological evidence and written history of the time 
indicate that in this period, uh, the, the land in the Judean hill country was transformed from a patchwork of small holdings owned by individual farmers to vast estates uh, with absentee landlords worked by tenants who were very probably the former owners of the land. So the parable of the sower is not what I as a child thought about an idiot farmer who's throwing seed carelessly to thorns and rocks, but it's a reflection on the political, social, and economic reality of the people at the time who were forced to cultivate ever smaller pieces of land, often close to roads in rocky and thorny conditions. Now, when we read this parable in a Western 21st century context, it just doesn't cut through in the same way that it would to of Jesus' audience at the time. Many of those listening would have been struggling to feed their family. Many of them would have been subject to these, these unpayable loans, would have faced bankruptcy, would have, would have lost their land. Land that had been handed down from generation to generation to generation a, a sacred inheritance gone. So you can, you can really imagine the, the feelings of, of anger and outrage and pain and shame that many of Jesus' listeners would have had. So with just his eight opening words, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Jesus would have instantly connected with his audience, tapped into their lived reality, their cares, their concerns. As he told the all too familiar story of crop failure, they would have been drawn in further on a, a deep visceral level. But there's a twist in this story. In verse eight, we read that, you know, other seed fell onto good soil uh, and produced a crop of up to a hundredfold yield. Now, I wanted to understand what the significance of those <clears throat> of that number was, what that kind of meant. And uh, I spent far too long on Google researching what that would have meant and ended up down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos on first century farming techniques, which, by the way, is fascinating. Um, but the best kind of um, consensus I could find is that for a farmer in that time period, in that region, in the kind of conditions we're talking about, would have expected between a five and a tenfold yield. Uh, so talking about a hundredfold yield would be a bumper crop, would be a cause for celebration that would uh, completely offset all of the losses incurred for, incurred for the, the failed uh, seed. And, and so the story follows the kind of classic uh, victory from the jaws of defeat arc. I wanted to sort of find a, a modern equivalent of this despair to hope story that we see in the power of the sower. And there's, there's lots, there's lots of different ones, but there's one I couldn't stop thinking about. It kept, I kept being drawn back to, and it's about the fertility journey. Two of my friends went through. If that's a, a difficult subject for you, as I know it, it is for many, please feel free to mute me for two minutes or, or go and make a cup of tea. 
Soon after my friends were married, they began uh, trying to get pregnant and succeeded. They were filled with joy and happiness and couldn't wait to welcome this baby into their lives. But sadly, the baby miscarried. It was a terrible loss, but after a while, they became pregnant again. Unfortunately, this baby didn't make it either. After another three miscarriages, the mother was diagnosed with a rare condition known as Hughes syndrome, which is a clotting disorder that causes miscarriages. Despite uh, a lot of medical intervention following that diagnosis, they suffered another three miscarriages. Altogether, eight losses in eight years. Eight long, hard, bleak years. The despair, the hopelessness and the pain that they faced was massive and real. But baby number nine made it. And he's a wonderful and beautiful little boy. He's nearly one. And in fact, last Sunday, they celebrated Mother's Day for the first time. Now, the reason I've really tried to unpack and drill down into the meaning and the context of the story of the sower before looking at an interpretation of it is I really feel that the two are inextricably linked, symbiotically linked. They play into one another. And later on in the chapter, Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. The seed in varying types of soils represent people who hear the call of God to follow him and his blueprint for life. Sometimes it's snatched away instantly, like uh, the seed that the birds took. Sometimes it, it does take root, uh, but withers in the sun, and, and sometimes it gets eventually choked out by external influences. But the promise that Jesus makes is that following him and his blueprint for life will deliver a bumper crop. He said the same in John 10, proclaiming, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other translations, life abundantly. But this promise of life to the full or life abundantly doesn't mean we won't know pain, suffering or loss. But it does mean a life of meaning and fulfillment of destiny and purpose. I don't think we are always just one type of soil. Sometimes we're like the fertile soil, enjoying the promises and blessings that come from following God and his blueprint for life. But at other times, we can feel choked by toxic influences, like the seed that grew amongst thorns. Sometimes we can feel like we just don't have the capacity for life as if we're about to collapse at any time, like, like the seed that withered under the sun in the shallow soil. And sometimes in life, sometimes things are taken from us cruelly and unfairly, just like the seed snatched by the birds. 
So if you identify in any way with some of those poor types of soils, the message of the parable of the sower is hope. It's right there behind me. Hope. The hope that something better is possible. Hope that if you're in pain, you can know comfort. If life is hard, it can become easier. Hope that if you've been mistreated, you can know a future filled with justice. And maybe you're listening today and you think, I don't really, I don't really connect. I don't feel like I'm a poor soil. I don't feel like I'm in any of those places. I feel more like I'm in the fertile soil. And that's brilliant. And I think the, the challenge or the invitation for you, if you feel in that place, is to think where you can be the hope for others, where you can be the comfort for those in pain, the support for those who are struggling, and the voice for victims of injustice. As Carl leads us in another bit of sung worship, feel free to reflect on where you feel you are and let God speak to you.